Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. Once again, I'm Clark Coffey, and with me, as always, is Colin, Colin McFader. McFader. <laughs> there we go, that Jinx. Was nice, Jinx Abracadabra. You, you owe me a Coke, man. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, it's good to have you back. We're happy to be here. Uh, this is, which is like mind-blowing to me, I can't believe we're already at episode 16. Whoa. Uh, crazy, yeah. I know, it's wild, huh? Time flies when you're having fun. This is, uh, we'll be covering lesson 17 of Herzog's Masterclass at masterclass.com, which we've both taken. By the way, just a little like free, you know, props for Masterclass. We both uh, obviously- That's how we in- met. Enjoyed that, enjoyed that whole experience because, well, here we are years later uh, doing a podcast that's kind of based around it, at least here in the beginning. Uh, but this lesson 17 covers editing, which I think is, I mean, if there were ever something that were, was fundamental, right, to an art, to a medium, editing is as fundamental as you could possibly get to filmmaking, right? I mean, yeah, without yeah. editing is kind of what makes it filmmaking almost, I think, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, this will, I'm, I'm excited to, to uh, go over this uh, lesson. I think Herzog brings some, up some really interesting points. Um, and right off the bat, let's just jump into it. Right off the bat, Herzog talks about, uh, and this is interesting, right? Because uh, there's some distinctions that we can make here. He talks about being careful that you don't force your intention Mm-hmm. in the yeah. edit of the film right so he talks very much about kind of like that a film that this footage rather uh is is going to kind of seem to want to go in certain directions perhaps right it's almost like it's going to have a will of its own yeah it's and, like divorcing yourself from that well or being and, open to it right and well uh, div- divorcing yourself from the footage in terms of like your own will and and all that okay right right, yeah. right. that's what he talks about so instead of imposing your will with like rigidity he talks about really being open allowing yourself to kind of intuitively get a sense for where does the footage want to go what is yeah. the f- yeah. how does the film want to kind of congeal and it's interesting because of course you know he 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 also talks very much about shooting with with extreme focus and intent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody was ever against being a fly on the wall, kind of setting up a camera and just letting things happen, I would I would say Herzog, you know, is uh, has spoken out most strongly against this of yes, practically yeah, any other no documentary. No interest in it. Right, out, yeah. out of any documentary filmmaker I can think of. Uh, so it's not that you are just, you know, play, sitting a camera down on some sticks and walking away and just letting it run for 30 hours. And then you say, hey, let's see what we got. I mean, he's very much about making things happen and and manipulation and shooting with, um, you know, opinion and perspective. But I think he's talking about here is, OK, well, once you get all that footage and you're in the editing room, don't force a round peg into a square hole. You know? Well, it's this idea for him that it's like pretend that you are a different person than who shot the footage. Well, that's, you know, yeah. like this idea of stumbling across footage and just you know finding it, and it's like you know, get into the mindset that you weren't the person that shot it. That if you were to just edit this footage <laughs> that you just came across, you know, right. how would you do it? And, and kind of, you know, think like, you know, obviously think like an editor in this instance, but kind of again try to, you know pretend that you are not the person who actually captured this footage and that you're you're now stumbling across it and you're finding the best moments and yeah finding the the bits to stick out and to emphasize and you know how that rhythm comes out too is like and i think everyone who has edited their own stuff and shot their own stuff has experienced this where it's you know 
whether it is the case of, you know, when you're on set and things seem to be going horribly and then you sit down in the editing room and you go, wow, this is actually pretty good. Or even just on the basis of you might think on set that you're going to edit it a certain way or that something mm. is going to happen in a particular way and it's going to cut together like this. And then you get to the edit and you go, actually, it's going to be completely different. That doesn't even work. Yeah, um, I think, you you, you know, Herzog mentioned it and, and you're calling attention to it. This idea or kind of this way of thinking of, you know, when you step into the editing room, uh, try to put yourself in the mind frame of, yeah, like I, I, I've, you know, I don't even know where this footage came from. I mean, it's yeah, kind of, you know, yeah. pl- kind of, you know, uh, playing a little trick on yourself, so to speak. But it's just kind of a way of saying, you know, really being open to the the possibilities that exist with the footage you actually have. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I think, you know, in my experience, right, I've uh, generally speaking, when I go in and I'm shooting a film, I, I kind of can see the edited film in my mind. Right. Mm-hmm. I have this. You're probably the same way. Right. I think many people are probably where I kind of have this pre this very strongly preconceived notion. I mean, actually, as I'm writing it, you know, this starts to develop for me. It's I kind of think visually. I think obviously many filmmakers do. It's why you're drawn to the medium. Um, and so sometimes it's, you know, you can kind of really restrict yourself, right? If you're so yeah. rigidly right, if you're so rigidly holding on to this vision that you've had ever, you know, since you wrote it. And the footage may may not lend itself to exactly that, uh, and actually, it, you know, it may lend itself to something much better than yeah, you exactly. than you ever the, the, than you ever preconceived. You know, these wonderful, beautiful accidents happen, whether they're in performances, you know, of your actors or whatever that you know, whatever may kind of whatever happened uh, on set or on location. There could be some really beautiful accidents yeah, so it's very right. much with with narrative but i almost want to say too especially with documentary um you know oh, i i yeah. wrote the the documentary i just did about home video and all that um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was written in a very particular way i had a I, it wasn't really a screenplay but i had you know the chunks laid out as to where the story went and probably you know halfway through the editing process i showed it around to a few people and got feedback and that feedback wound up completely changing the structure that you know parts that were supposed to be at the end of the movie mm. wound up at the beginning and like it just completely and it made it way better it kind of wrapped the whole thing up in a nice bow as opposed to just what okay. it was before which was kind of more of a traditionally um told story which i thought was really interesting um, now so so in this instance let me just double check make sure i understand so you're saying that you got feedback you had you presented this to some other people. Is that what what happened? Yeah, I think I think I had I I had it in my mind as to what I wanted it to be, and then right. the feedback wound up making me realize. So you that did. The, you so you went ahead and you made a cut. Is that yeah. what? And then okay, yes, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, th- so that we can bring this up too. Herzog talks about this aspect of uh, editing a little bit later in the lesson, but it's it's sure we it's a good place to bring this up uh, about okay, well, you've gone through the process, you've got an edit or you've got a cut rather. Uh, how do you address getting feedback from people? And yeah, Herz- like and not working with yes men and stuff like that too. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, you know, a couple of things. I mean, Herzog talks about first of all, he doesn't edit films by himself. Uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of people just starting out, uh, oftentimes do find themselves editing their own films in mm-hmm. entirety, especially if they're short films. And. Uh, budget wise too is like of course it doesn't really makes sense often to <laughs> spend the money to get another editor right yeah right which i think speaks even more to you know really trying to work to keep yourself open-minded um yeah, yeah. 
because you're, you're not going to have this, you know, this other layer of interpretation or objectivity, if you will, if you don't have another editor in there. But I think it's it's a great idea to to start trying, you know, hopefully you can find some people who are maybe at the same level as you if you're just starting out, uh, who are willing to work for credit or deferred mm-hmm. payment or something, and start to work with an editor. I think it's a, you know, it's a vital skill to have, obviously, as you progress through your career, it's unlikely that you're going to be the one actually sitting at the computer making the edits. You'll be working with an editor. Um, and that, ob- that objectivity is really important uh, to bring to the table. Uh, but it's also important to get back to what you were just talking about with your uh, project, okay, well, you know, it's, and this is, boy, I mean, this is like how to deal with feedback and get the most out of it without being overwhelmed by it. I mean, I think everybody who's ever created anything has found this to be really challenging. Gosh, I I know I have, like, but, uh, but some of the things Herzog suggests, I mean, he talks about, you know, showing it to people who he knows aren't going to kiss his butt, right? That's obviously important. His older brother, <laughs> which is a funny little story that his, which he is, calls his yeah. older brother the boss of the family, which I can't I imagine somebody bossing Herzog around. But I, I know I would love yeah. to see that, huh? I would love to see that. But um, but that's important because, I mean, I know that, you know, it's it's sometimes is, is a big pull for me where I'm like, I want to show my work to people who I kind of know are yeah. going to tell me nice things about it. Because yeah, there's a pull to do that, right? Sure. You have confirmation bias, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's like, you know, I, please tell me something nice. You know, I'm probably feeling fragile. I worked and so hard. On it. yeah. <laughs> it's like, mom, come on, this is great, right? Uh, but, but no, I, you know, uh, I think we all kind of have a little bit of a pull to do that. So it's important to to remember, okay, wait, hold on. Okay, you know, yes, it's like strokes the ego to get some nice feedback, but it's not going to make your film any better. Um, so to actually show it to some people who you can trust to really be honest, I think is key. And, uh, Herzog also talks about, and I, I have not done this for a film that I've directed yet, but I was a, a producer for a horror film where we did this or, and, um, have, have large audiences. Herzog talks about, uh, the importance of doing this for comedy. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, cause it's, it's, and I agree. Uh, I've been a part of one of those too. I've been a part you've been, of, you've, a been a, you've been um, a focus group audience as yeah, an audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, that one. You know, that's a really interesting science. Um, you know, uh, putting a focus group together, uh, asking questions that are going to elicit feedback that's usable, that's actionable, yeah. is yeah. really really tough. And and that's mm-hmm. outside of sometimes the scope it, of, sometimes it can be really corporatized and it can be very you know you you turn it into especially with these bigger studios you hear these kind of horror stories about yeah. like focused audiences and test audiences becoming just literally a marketing pitches right and it's like yeah. how can we how 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 willing would you be to buy an action figure based off of this well you know it's it's ridiculous yeah, cer- stuff like certainly that. yeah certainly you know if we're talking about a marvel movie i mean those yeah. things are are likely focus group to, to death and i think yeah. most most major studio feature films large budget films are focus group to death and then you know you kind of have a film that's made by committee and herzog actually talks about that too yeah uh about the pitfalls of of trying to make a movie that's for every possible audience out there and of course marvel films or action films are that that's exactly what they're trying to do, right? They're, the the domestic box office is no longer sufficient. Uh, the global box office is vital, and, and so they. 
sorry, yeah, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it. So gonna... they've got to they've got to make a movie that plays to every single audience in the world, young, old, yeah. male, female. You know, whether you're in Japan or China or Turkey or the United States or Canada, or right? Algeria, yeah, right. I, I also just I want to say though that it's the irony I've always thought about that, and that's a very you know it's not necessarily the most recent phenomenon. It's been going on for two, maybe even three decades now on a mass scale. But what I do want to say that's interesting about that is that I find the movies that we look at as classics, those movies that came out in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s that we really are like, you know, these are the classic Hollywood movies. Like Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, Weekend at (laughs) Bernie's. Well, but like even just like you think of like (laughs) the original Star Wars, Indiana Jones. (laughs) I do love Weekend at Bernie's. It's no joking matter. I do too. But, (laughs) but, um, but I mean, any of these movies that, that, Aliens, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, big blockbuster movie you can think of that came out in that era. Yeah. That they were successful not because they were aiming to reach the widest possible audience. They were successful because they were goal-oriented in terms of what they wanted to do with the movie and what the yeah. story they wanted to tell was and that the audience followed. And it's almost this kind of paradox, which is like hmm. if you chase the audience, you're not going to get the audience. Or at least, you know, you there's no denying that Marvel movies are successful but in 20, 30 years, will anybody remember specific plot points or lines? I, I don't really think so. I don't, I you know, I think that there's going to be people that are always super fans of them. But I don't think that they will have the cultural impact of, you know, the these groundbreaking movies that came out in the decades before because of that. Like, I think that that's yeah. kind of the irony and that's kind of the paradox of it is because well, do you they know were what that's called? Reach... So there's a name for that. Oh, really? Okay. I there is a, but... yeah, uh, are, are a couple names. This is, so it's actually funny that you mentioned this. We can like, we'll take a little digression into the world of philosophy for just yes. one moment. Um, but I don't know if you're, so this, this uh, obviously, I think most of us have experienced this kind of, uh, the seemingly like existence of these paradoxal, uh, effects in life uh, mm-hmm. with effort and result. Uh, it's And I think people have talked about this uh, in Buddhism and Zen for a long time. Alan Watts, a, um, a countercultural uh, philosopher, he was British, uh, called this the law of reverse effort or the backwards law, which is basically says that uh, if you push for something very strongly, you will actually decrease your likelihood of obtaining it. And mm-hmm. and I, I agree to a great extent, actually, that if you put all of your energy into trying to, you know, into creating a film that's going to work for every possible audience, uh, it won't v- work very well for any. Yeah. Uh, and and you can, I, I would even go further and say, actually, if you... You know, if you're trying to do work that you feel will be accepted by an audience and that's your primary focus, um, it's likely not going to be a very good film. It's not going to come from within you. It's not going to be an authentic voice. It's going to be premeditated and cynical and and striving. And that doesn't make for very interesting film, in my humble opinion. But mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you bringing that well, up. And I, I think that it, there's actually a really great example of it. And at, at the avoidance of becoming a pop culture podcast, because that's not what we are. Right. I'm putting my fist down. But um, okay. But I sound like Nixon now. But uh, <laughs> but I do want to say that you there's... You and your impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's a, an interesting example of that um, that's kind of been talked about to death. But but just a really quick digression is yeah. the the episode, I guess it was eight, the eighth Star Wars movie that, of this new Oh my gosh, which is the which, eighth one? That was I the, have lost the Last count. Jedi. 
Oh, which geez. was the, the controversial fan, you know, the one that fans didn't like, but critics liked it. Sure. I, 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 thought, I liked I, I thought yeah. it was... I thought it was decent because I thought it was different is, is okay. what I found. I, I, but I have then, no idea what this film is that you're talking about. I, I, I don't know which that's one That's okay. Is. I don't blame yeah. you. But, that's okay. Maybe but some I do, people I, There is an interesting um, relation to, to what we're talking about here, which is that the, so the, set, the eighth movie came out, which was directed by Ryan Johnson, who did, mm. you know, Looper and Brick and just most recently Knives which Out. Which were good. Which um, Looper, and I think that he's, yeah, I think great. that he's, he's really a, an interesting director. He's got a very interesting voice for a unique voice. Yeah. Um, and so he did the eighth Star Wars movie and um, it took the series in a direction that a lot of fans were, you know, unhappy with because they mm. were like, where's this? Where's that? You know, that's right. not supposed to happen in Star Wars. And I thought it was kind of a silly backlash in a way because I was like, who cares? It was, you know, I thought that the things that he did in it were more interesting than anything that had been done in, in most other recent Star Wars movies. So I was right. fine with it. Right. But then what you found was that you got, you know, Disney and Lucasfilm see that backlash and go into the ninth movie, which is the final one of the, the big series, um, and completely bought into all that backlash and did exactly what we're talking about, which Nothing is but fan chasing service. after fan Nothing service, but this, fan service, you yeah. know, test group focused like what did yeah. people like about the last one what they did not like yeah. and i i can guarantee um in 20 years people will look back on the last jedi and think oh that was actually interesting how they made some interesting decisions there and they kind of went against the grain of the rest of the franchise with that one nobody right. will remember the the most recent one because the most recent one was both well it was panned by critics and audiences it wasn't very good period but I do think that that's interesting, and I never want to talk about Star Wars ever again. But <laughs> you know what? But that's I thought totally that it fine. was a. I thought it, that it was an interesting um, it, kind of real world we, example of exactly what we're talking about. Unless perhaps sometime in the future we mentioned Herzog's uh, performances in the mm -hmm. Mandalorian. That mm -hmm. might be the only other situation where we're talking about Star Wars on this podcast. But, yeah. I mean, I agree, right? And I think, look, if you're listening to this podcast, clearly, you know, Cullen, you and I are actually recording this podcast uh, and we're focusing on Herzog, I think. Hang on, that... this is being recorded? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I didn't sign an NDA. <laughs> I, you know what? And it, Hey, uh, in California, only one party has to uh, give consent to recording wow. so yeah. that could be me and i'm recording and you wouldn't but um we're just going to get all over the place we'll talk about some law we'll talk about philosophy we're talking about pop culture we're just going everywhere with this one today mm. but uh now i've completely forgotten what i was going to say oh but you know look yeah i mean if we're talking about herzog clearly we're fans uh, clearly we're inspired by his work i mean it's you know he hit the authenticity of his work uh, the fact that he's making films for himself and not to say that he and he talks about this, it, you know, he, he says, look, um, this isn't all about you. The director doesn't have final cut. The producer doesn't have final cut. The financier doesn't have final cut. The audience does. Right. Mm -hmm. But he's, yeah. you know, what he's talking about there, though, is not I mean, I, I don't think, I, you know, it would, I think it would be a misconstruence to say, well, uh, what he means is uh, shape the film to make the audience happy. Yeah. No, he's saying, look, ultimately, you know, uh, ultimately the audience is going to determine, you know, uh, how to say it's, this. It's success and it's legacy. It's I success think. and it's legacy. And it's gonna, there's, there is, you know, um, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. Well, so, I think that, I think that distinction that you just made is really, really important because I think people so often confuse the two. 
where they go, yeah. you know, like I think that that's a huge thing and it's a huge part about taking things with grain of salt, you know, taking, I've shown friends cuts of movies and this goes back even to the film school thing or the difference yeah. between going to film school and not going to film school. But I've shown friends who have gone to film school a cut of a movie and they've gone, uh, you know, chop, chop eight minutes out of it or chop some arbitrary number out of it. Right. And it's like, because it's just been instilled that, you know, the shorter is better because it'll get to an audience faster. And it's, but then Herzog even talks about, you know, the opposite, which is what if we sit on a shot on for an unusually mm-hmm. long amount of time? Right. And that imposes this idea that this shot is now important. And I, I that's one thing that I think is lost in, in major movies well, today, which is just this idea of being able yeah. to sit and make it atmospheric and, and allow things yeah. to sink in. And reflectiveness too i think that you almost have to put if you want an audience to reflect scene to scene on your movie you almost have to put a disclaimer at the beginning saying you're allowed to think about what you're watching right now <laughs> you know when the movie is slow don't just think it's boring you know think about what's going well, and like, this it's is kind the of thing. funny but this and okay look and this is the point right um is that you you cannot please everyone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you just have to be willing to accept that uh if you're lucky your film is going to find an audience out there if if you're mm-hmm. lucky, right? If it because it, it's tough. I mean, it's a very difficult thing in this world uh, to get to have your work seen by enough people where you have any kind any size of audience. But you know, if it's okay if the if there's a lot of people out there, right? If you've got you know however many billion of people out there and they're like and a, a big chunk of those people say this is too slow for me you know the editing is not you know why are you sitting on this scene for five seconds this you know if uh it's okay it, it's i mean you blessed to have a small core of people who are moved and touched mm-hmm. and inspired by your film yeah. uh i mean my goodness you know her has don't never go been around a big... trying to pr- impress everybody that's the yeah i mean when has herzog ever been like a blockbuster filmmaker when have his films ever like you know but at the same time so plenty of his movies have reached you know universal appraise and and six like i would say you know grizzly man is one of my some of his films have definitely yeah some of his films have definitely kind of broke through i mean and obviously look he's got decades and decades of work now but i guarantee you though i mean look I, i don't take this for granted i mean if i went out on in my neighborhood and I asked 50 people, I just walked down the street and asked 50 people who Werner Herzog was, name name a film or two of his for me. I, I would be su- surprised if 10% could do that. Mm-hmm. So we live in a little bit of a bubble where, you know, we're, we are filmmakers, we love film, we're cinephiles, we uh, clearly are like steeped in Herzog. So, you know, if, if I walked in my street in my neighborhood and I asked people who Steven Spielberg was, I'm pretty sure 99 percent of the people i asked would be able to tell me right above the age of 18 or something so yeah yeah. i mean um, go i mean if you go upload something to youtube and no matter how amazing it is no matter how 99 percent of people are thumbs upping the the video you'll always have two or three dislikes like that's the thing there's always going to be and i think that that's the idea of where it's like again and this is going to sound like a broken record but take everything with a grain of salt because there are also times when even if even if i'm sitting in a room with three other people and they all say you know this should change in your movie um there are times when i would say yeah okay i'm i'm wrong but there are also times if i believe really strongly about something that i will say no 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 i i don't care i'm keeping it because that part is something that 
needs well, to be in there. And that's that's kind of where you got to find the balance. You don't always have to listen to the criticism or the... For, for, you know, certainly the, not. And whatever, I mean, but. this is really gets to the crux of a major creative... Uh, a major part of the creative challenge, if you will, mm-hmm. in, in creation and, and bringing something to people, right, is when do you listen? When do you take an audience, you know, an audience's feedback? And when do you stand firm mm-hmm. in your in your intuitive, you know, in your beliefs of what this should be? And that's a question, my goodness, that, you know, philosophically, we could talk about for a long time. But that's, you know, this is one of the main fundamental aspects of creation. And ultimately, that you have to find that within yourself, right? But certainly, and Herzog talks about this in, le- in this lesson, that there are certainly that there are times to listen, and there are times to stand firm. And you can only really look in, inside yourself. Yeah to answer exactly. that question and each one of us is going to have a different you know uh line uh, that we've drawn for that so i mean but- even down to the fundamental technicalities of editing um i know people who will and i've worked with them and some of them are very good friends of mine who will say that you know i'm never editing my own stuff i'm always sending it to another editor because it needs another and it's like it's like this steadfast yeah. concrete and they right you know when i say no no, no i cut this myself they're like oh <gasps> no i wouldn't do that it's and, but it's like I've never bought into that. I've never, and there, you'll find that, especially if you're beginning, well, it's, you know, you might be more attuned to it if you're beginning because it's sort of a, a thing that kind of sticks out and you might get used to it later on. But um, film is full of that. Film is like the film industry, but be it in pre-production, production or post-production is filled with people who think that rules are concrete mm. Um, that there's no way that you can get away with doing a movie without doing X, Y, Z right. um, that are set-oriented rules, blah, dogmatic. blah, blah. So I've had these conversations with people on, you know, yeah. online and in person, and it's it's really, I always think it's funny. It always makes me laugh because I'm like, at the end of the day, what you're, you're going out to put a camera somewhere and filming something. That's that's what you're doing. You know, <laughs> I get that there are rules in place to to make that easier and to make sure that you don't lose the footage, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. but at the end of the day, just think just think about what you're trying to do. Put just it think in about perspective here, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like, you know, you're not a surgeon. No, like exactly. You're, generally, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're generally there's, you know, I don't I wouldn't call it dogma, but there are very strict procedures, right? There's, you know, there's Everything from how an OR is like kept, every, how people sterilized, how a procedure is done. Like, you know, this is like very uh, rigidly proceduralized, you know, uh, activities and for good reason. But this is not filmmaking. This is not art. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's I like keep things in perspective a little and bit. You're, and I you're, think on, on that point, too, that there's there's this bit where in, in the lesson where Herzog talks about throwing all, out old footage, which I am just in love with. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what I do. I, I I will finish a cut of a movie. I will have it maybe the final cut for maybe six months or so. And yeah. at that point, if I'm if I still like and it's out there and I'm happy with it, and there's nothing that's horribly wrong with it. I delete all that old footage. I do not keep unless it, there's something that I think would be good in a reel right. or something that I could use for something else, like a great sure. landscape shot or whatever. Sure. Um, I might keep stuff like that. But in yeah. terms of the like every single audio file, every single video <laughs> file, no, no, no. I and there's some people that are. I mean, Terrence Malick is famously not like that. He just released a new cut of 
Tree of Life like two years ago, and he's still is it re-editing. Coppola just released a new cut of uh, yeah. Godfather Three. But I have no interest in that. I yeah. I am like Herzog says in this where it's like the carpenter doesn't keep it his shavings. sit on his shavings. I'm, I'm yeah. the same. I um, once I'm done a movie, I love that. I like to basically get the final cut, put it on a hard drive for an archive and like a backup. And that's it. That's you're the done. final cut. I don't need any of the old stuff. I don't need. Right. I don't even care really about. I'm not somebody who's obsessed with remasters. Even. I mean, I I appreciate them when they're done well, and there's like this whole new, you know, whatever. It's a restoration. But in terms of like something in the digital age, yeah, everything is clean enough that you're not going to get a point in in 2050 where somebody is like, oh, this was shot on the Zoom <laughs> H or this was recorded on the Zoom H6. This audio is so unusable. Um, and it's that, that's exactly what I mean, though. It's like people future proof to future proof for some. Well, for some I, I, I mean, I, think I it's funny. I, I you know, it's funny. I I agree with Herzog and I agree with you, but I cannot say that I follow through with my own beliefs uh, completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely some cognitive dissonance here for me right now because although I agree, I have to admit that in my closet, in my office, I have a box of hard drives and I've, <laughs> there are probably about 40 hard drives in there uh, of all shapes and sizes that contain not just uh, Final Cuts, but actually contain raw footage mm-hmm. and yeah. audio. And and you know what? It And I will t- I can tell you, so I can tell you from personal experience, a lot of people might ask to say, well, what's the harm? Mm-hmm. What is the harm yeah. of keeping all this stuff? And and I, and I, because I think sometimes it's maybe hard to put your finger on. So what's the big deal, right? Well, I think there actually is a cost to this. And maybe talking about this right now is going to motivate me to go ahead and finally toss this stuff out or, you know, at least uh, reuse the hard drives. Of course, why throw out good hard drives? But um, you know, I think there there is there's definitely uh, there's a couple things. I think one, I think it it's uh, all of this kind of digital clutter, uh, this kind of you know this kind of just hangs around like like if if your house is cluttered, right? It's kind of a distraction to you all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. well, this you know I've got all this footage. It's kind of like hanging in the back of your mind. It's like there in the closet. It's like, well, maybe I'll do something with it. I you know, no, you're not. I'm not going to do anything with it. It's just a distraction, you know? Yeah. And and, and I think that's so often it's a, almost a, tempt, a temptation to go back and fiddle with it. Too, when you and, need to be going forward, things. right? Yeah. When you need to be yeah. going forward, right? It's a diversion of energy. It's a diversion of focus. And, uh, and and really, I mean, I think it's it's it just kind of I think it's a distraction of focus that keeps you right. That has you looking backward at stuff you've already done. And the likelihood that you're going to do anything else with it is, come on, it's it's basically zero or else you would have yeah. done it. And, yeah. and, and if you did go back and do it, so let's say that that one in a million chance came along and you did do something with it. I mean, come on, if it's sitting under your bed in your closet, how inspired are you really? How motivated are you really? So what kind of work are you going to do with, with it? It's not going to yeah. come from a place of inspiration or motivation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's coming from some other place like obligation or, well, I've had these things in my closet for years. I, I guess I should do something with it. Screw that stuff. It's just like this weird Move forward, like security of just like, well, yeah, what if, yeah. or what if the project gets security. corrupted and I got to, you know. I, I've got to re re-export. It's like that. That nah. is so rare, and there's no you're you're hoarding for the sake of hoarding. But I also think agreed with what you just said. Is you know the mo- and Herzog doesn't specifically touch on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was similar in this way. That is the most I'll keep um, in the long term is and usually just for educational purposes is like maybe the three 
rough cuts or something like that. Right. And that way I can kind of go back and it's sometimes it's a little bit fun to, to go and watch the first cut of a movie and sort of go, okay, that's what I did. That's those yeah. are the decisions I made. And again, for education too, you know, right. since I teach a class, well, it's very teach, useful right. to, yeah, absolutely. to go back and sort of say like, here was the first cut of this. And, and then, but just exactly what you said in terms of the full raw files of yeah. you know footage that are <laughs> massive massive files always. they're huge they're always yeah. gonna, even if you're shooting on a a like a really really file friend file size friendly format terabytes there's still going to be terabytes. huge amounts of, of footage yeah um i have no interest yeah i i i just like you mentioned just like herzog mentioned i have no interest in keeping those around um it also to me almost and maybe this is just kind of um you know, philosophical, but I, I find that it prevents me from feeling like the work is done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even if I'm happy with a final cut, if I've got the footage still sitting around, I still feel like there's potential that again, in 10 years, I might go back and, and, and I have that little, that little voice in my head. And so I don't really find that I'm completely satisfied with a work until I almost force myself to be by just deleting all the, all the, um, archived, raw footage and then yeah. i'm like now well, there's nothing i can do well and this is movie. important and this yeah. is important and we've touched on this you know in a few different ways but uh it's definitely something that herzog talks about in this lesson it's about it's being decisive learning to be decisive and you've great segue you've tied it into this too if you're saving all of your footage you know we've talked about this uh for shooting too we've talked about look don't just don't don't just take take after take after take and coverage just get you know, all the coverage you can possibly get you are putting off the decision making which is the heart of your art and it, you know it's the same with this if you're in editing and you it, you know being decisive is is just an absolutely vital part of this art um and i think this is this is tied into that right Herzog mm -hmm. talks about, and I, I, of course, you know, I love the way he always puts things, but he talks about, look, you know, this is a profession. This isn't your pet. You've got to yeah. be a professional. Yeah, yeah. You've got to, you know, uh, and of course, we've talked about this many times. You know, Herzog is clearly a very intuitive filmmaker. Um, and so he talks about just, you know, the foot, you know, what speaks to him. And of course, I mean, ultimately, I think we all have to be right. I mean, you know, ultimately, we're all kind of relying on our intuition. This is kind of what art is. Um, we balance that with some feedback, which we've talked about. But yeah, ultimately, you've, you know, editing is about making decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I also want to put in a caveat there too, for things yeah. like, like director's cuts, which are a different beast, because I think that right. most often, a director's cut is created because of marketing, you know, marketing and well, marketing, but also sometimes like uh, I think of um, Once Upon a Time in America, where it was, you know, the movie was significantly cut down. And right. I think studios more, or, um, changes that I, the director, I think Leone yeah. said, you know, it was the movie was neutered by studio <laughs> interference and yeah. then went and created the director's cut. And it's I prefer the director's cut. I think it's an, a masterpiece. I think the original is very good, too. But I think that I can right. see why. And same with, you know, Blade Runner, I think Blade Runner, the final cut is, is yeah. the best cut of that movie. It um, is. So there's a difference there where it's like if I obviously if I was working for a big studio and um, I didn't really get the motion picture I wanted at the end due to that kind of thing. Sure, I might keep that footage around so that I can then go back and make the movie that I wanted. But oftentimes, too, that director director's cut is going to be an earlier cut anyway. It's going you're already going right. to have that cut that it's was likely. then changed. Yeah, correct. So 
Yeah, that's likely the case. It's not that you've gone back and you've re-edited the film. Mm-hmm. It's more that, well, this is the edit you wanted, but we, yeah, compromises no more, had to be Usually made. when I see, you know, when I see a movie or a director that does go back and do exactly that, which is like this this going back after the fact and saying, you know what, maybe I could tweak this. Like the, <laughs> you mean like the Lucas? Final cut of, Lucas, but also Coppola. I mean, the final cut of Coppola Apocalypse is doing now, that I saw, too. Yep. I saw, and the final cut was, was not nearly as good as the original. <laughs> like For, I, I was sitting with a Godfather friend. Godfather 3? Uh, for the Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, um, okay, because we I haven't went, seen Godfather 3. I'm curious to see I'm that. Apparently the, the he death changed, of, yeah. yeah, apparently he changed the ending, and I, I haven't seen it, but... Yeah, uh, I'll have to watch that one. But but I saw the the final cut of Apocalypse Now in theaters, and mm-hmm. me and a friend both saw it and sort of said, like, what was the point, you know? Pretty substantial... It, nothing uh, was added, added to it. Added footage, um, but yeah. I mean, there was added footage, but nothing... You don't feel like it of, added to the story, yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and it's, in, it's interesting, and I would, you know, look, I would love to have Coppola in front of me, and I would love to ask him what his thoughts were there, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was it because he felt like he had to make these compromises at the time? Uh, that the film was too long, studio wouldn't allow it, you know, whatever. I, you know, who knows uh, if it was like, no, this is really, really the film I wanted to release, or was it something that came to him later and he thought, ah, you know, yeah, you know, if we're doing a 4K know. restoration, might as well, yeah, right. I don't know. Um, uh, no, but I do, I do think it's a really yeah. interesting topic. I mean, I think that that because it's so in line with with edit. Like I, again, I know people who would never ever do that like i my friend blair who um, i work with at the company i started he is a dit person and works primarily in post and Mm -hmm. is an archiver so his philosophy on this is completely different like he is like we've got to get a hard drive we've got to go save you know all of our raw footage goes on to you know three different hard drives for for multitudes of backups blah 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 stuff like that which i can appreciate i mean i appreciate the well it's important as you're going through production until the film is released and then at that point i don't care (laughs) absolutely (laughs) that's kind of my now that's a whole different right and that's a whole different technical conversation about you know backups and backups of backups i mean that's a whole different yeah that absolutely there's about Mm -hmm. file management and archiving during the production process but once the film is it's finished it's released it's done you know, keeping all of this raw footage is, yes, is a different yeah. thing. But I, I mean, can you imagine, though, we've talked about Coppola, Ridley Scott, many other directors, release director's cuts for various reasons. But mm-hmm. one of the things that's so endearing to me about Herzog is that all of his films are director's cuts. There yeah. are no, I mean, what yeah. can, can you think? I don't, none of his films has he gone back and tweaked them and said, no, 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 no this is like really the film that I wanted to release. I don't think any of his films either he's come out and said no. that he wasn't proud of. Like, no. I don't think he's ever come out and said, oh, you know, that one didn't go so well. Well, except for, I think, one of the first films he ever did. And I, this story is a little bit sketchy in my mind right now, but I think there was an issue where something happened on set could this have possibly been with an animal or something? It was one of the first films he ever did, and he said he'll never release it. Um, mm, I yes, feel, I yes. feel, I feel bad that I don't have this exact uh, memory like uh, perfectly formed in my head, but I'm pretty sure I remember there was something about some kind of I don't know if an animal was injured or if there was some kind of like animal cruelty or something on set, uh, or actually not just on set. I mean on camera. And Herzog yeah. says he'll never release this film. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure there is a film that he doesn't want to ever see the light of day. But to, um, to be fair to that, too, that's not necessarily the quality of the film. It's more correct. The, the subject matter. I don't that, think so. Yeah. Right. But I don't think as far as quality, like I don't think he's ever gone back and said I could have done correct. that one better yeah. that way. Um, which I, I think yeah. is a great. And maybe that is 
you know, a direct result of his throwing out the old material. Like perhaps who, who decisive, knows if, right. if that one aspect of his personality was different and he kept that footage, perhaps we would have, you know, a whole uh, bunch of director's cuts from Herzog. Um, and it I, could I, be, I, yeah. Yeah, I do want to speak to this really quickly since I, I had a quick second here to look it up. So, yeah, so sure. you're right. This, I don't think this is necessarily a question about quality, but just since we're here, we're talking about Herzog, a little bit of trivia. So actually uh, his film titled Game in the Sand which was a short film that he wrote and directed in 1964. Uh, the, the plot apparently concerns four children and a rooster in a cardboard box. And <laughs> okay. uh, actually, very little is known about this film. Uh, it's never been published. It's never been pub publicly shown. And Herzog states that he'll never give it a release in his lifetime. He says that the shooting got out of hand. And that's kind of all he's really ever said about it. And hmm. so you're right. I don't think that he's saying, I don't think that this film has artistic merit or quality, but he's saying maybe more for moral or ethical reasons. Uh, he doesn't want it released. So yeah. I, 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 I was like, I'm pretty sure there's a film out there that, but you're right, you know, totally different thing there. But this is one of the things that inspires me about Herzog. Um, you know, the fact that he's been able to maintain his autonomy and that he's been you know that he is so decisive uh, in the edit and of course behind the camera and with his writing and that the films that he releases that are the films that he wanted to make um i mean they're always films are always compromises but i mean um that that these are films that he can completely stand behind mm -hmm. i love that i yeah. love that uh, and i've got to say too that there's you know just to to retrace our steps just for a second yeah. um, about the idea of uh, editing, whether it's on your own or using somebody else to edit and, and like, you know, sending yeah. that footage off to another editor. Mm -hmm. I had a great conversation with a friend of mine recently where she was, um, we were talking about this, this idea of like, you know, for, and it was for the feature. She's one of the people that's producing this uh, feature that we're doing right now. Yeah. And we were talking about, um, uh, editing and you know what do we do when we get to post do we hire an editor etc and it was actually what was nice about it was also it was a very casual it wasn't really a formal meeting it was just us having a casual hangout and just this stuff came up um, and we were on the same page where we were just kind of talking about the fact that it's like whether we send it off to somebody else to cut that movie together and to get, you know, I'm doing air quotes with my hands to like get a second pair of eyes on it versus us as a team or even just me cutting something together and then showing it to other eyes. I don't, I, again, there's some people that are very, very pedantic about that and kind of go mm -hmm. like, no, 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 you have to get it on in another person's hands. Yeah. Whereas again, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm going to get that feedback either way. I'm just more likely going to like the cut more if I do it myself, or at least I'm involved <laughs> in that first cutting process versus, and especially at this budget level, especially at this budget level sure. where you send off editing or footage to an editor. And of course you're not paying them a lot and it's not their fault that they don't get to it because they're not being paid a lot. Um, yeah. And you don't happens, get it back yeah. for like two months. And then two months well, later you get lucky. a cut and you're, you're like, lucky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got, a, we did a movie. Um, I didn't direct again. It was, uh, but it was under my production company that we shot back in February and it's a, I think it's like a five minute short film and it's still being cut because the director, you know, it's his way of working, but he was very adamant that he sends it off to another editor. And that was, that was his yeah. way of working. And so I, I'm not going to fight him on that because that's his process. But I just, it kind of, again, reinforced to me this idea of like, you know, I could, I could put that together in 
two hours uh, yeah. into a work print cut rather than having to wait. Now what's coming on, you know, well, this is a great months. point. Yeah, this is a great point. You know, obviously for people who are at this at that stage of your career or the projects of that size, I totally agree. I mean, I've got a situation where uh, a documentary film that uh, I started shooting over a year ago and uh, the our my producer partner on that film uh, we decided that we would take our foot as a documentary, a lot of interview, a lot of following people around. It's called A, a Thousand Miles to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we spent all this time and money traveling around the country filming. And we kind of, you know, I was like, well, you know, I, I kind of he felt very strongly about having somebody else edit it. Uh, I thought, OK, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to explore that. And uh, here we sit and we don't have a cut. Uh, we went through a process where we hired a, hired a, an editor. It didn't work out very well. Um, we didn't get make progress anywhere near as fast as we had hoped. And what we saw was not really terribly usable at the end of the day, even after all this waiting. And so I've been thinking quite a bit about going back and, okay, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to break out that footage and yeah. I'm going to start cutting yeah. this thing myself. And, you know, because it's when you don't have it, we don't have a ton of money behind this project. So, right, it's not going to, you know, to find a talented, motivated editor and be able to motivate them to put this in their list of priorities and get it done with a soon debt with a you know deadline that's uh, uh, that's not way off in the distance. It's tough. So, I you mean, it even goes back find to yourself. it even goes back to as well the idea that we talked about, I think, in the first few episodes, which is just this idea of thinking like an editor while you're directing. And, I, and some people don't do that. Some people are just focused on the shots and things like that or, or working only with actors. Some directors are very, mm-hmm. very kind of focused in that way, whereas I am able to kind of juggle those things and kind of go, I know what this is going to edit together like, even if I don't write the movie. Um, sure. I think that that and, – and at the end of the day, what I always kind of say is whether – you know, if I take this – if I have a cut in my mind for this and I take it and I edit it, whether or not that edit works or not doesn't matter. Because if it doesn't work, people are going to tell me it doesn't work. I don't need to send it off to somebody else <laughs> to learn that that doesn't work because I'm going to find out that it doesn't work because people will tell me, you know, even if well, I cut it myself, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest kind I of mean, for thing me, is, is, you know. Sure. I, I think that for me, the thing that I hold out hope for, the thing that I'm looking for, though, is for somebody to add to my vision. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, and it's the same with actors, right? We've talked about working with actors. It's the reason I don't want to give line readings. It's the reason that I'm not, you know, stuck to a script like it's, you know, written in stone. Um, You know, um, ideally, you have collaborators who are bringing more and more and more to your vision, right? As the director, you own the vision. Yes. Mm -hmm. But ideally, you've got people who are able to bring their expertise in and add to that it's not it's not that they're changing your vision but it, they're adding to it i yeah. mean art yeah. um, filmmaking's a collaborative art form uh i mean it with the exception of i mean the smallest of small films where you're literally doing every single every single job uh, that but that's pretty darn far and few between right mm-hmm. uh it's a it's a collaborative art form so it's like i um you know, another example that I have where I kind of, you know, I collaborated on the editing. I worked as I'm, I'm kind of credited as an assistant editor for another feature film that's uh, uh, soon to be released. And I, I didn't sit down in front of the computer and edit this thing. I assisted them by watching the film that they, they had kind of they brought me in late in the process. Right. 
and they had already had a cut and they know they're having some challenges. It's not the film that they thought it was going to be. They've gotten some challenging feedback a little bit or they're, you know, they're working to make it better. And they uh, asked me to sit down with this cut and help them work on it. And so I pulled together about 30 pages of notes and then I sat down with the uh, editor and right, we talked yeah. through these things. And I, hopefully, I hope I was able to bring you know, I'm trying, I'm trying it. So, you know, in that position there, it's not like I'm trying to change the director's vision. I'm trying, okay, what was your vision? You know, so I'm talking to the director. I'm like, what talking to the writer, what were you trying to do here? Help me get inside your head as much as possible. And then I can help them try to shape this in a way that's going to match their vision. So ho- hopefully I was able to do that and bring some yeah. value to that, you know? And also let me just, I just want to clarify too, that I'm not in any way adverse to somebody else cutting sure uh, a movie of I, mine Colin, I'm i just a sense i'm getting a sense that i know what it is you're, no, you're... i i am a control as you've <laughs> said and before i'm a you've worked with me on set i i uh, slap people oh uh, it's i still them. got bruises and scars yeah. from that incident <laughs> but i i i it's more that if i'm if somebody else is cutting the movie yeah i'm there in the cutting room with them sure um and that i'm involved in that process what i don't like and what is probably the most common style of of editing in you know the indie market um if you don't have uh you know if you're not editing yourself is that exactly that idea of just sending it off to somebody and not being able to be there with them sure um and that's that's, a, that's yeah, what i would I, never recommend that yeah that's but, it, but it's so common that's the thing is it's very it's almost it's almost become a norm um yeah. which is just this idea that and i think that i think a lot of that does again come back to this idea of film school where the way that film school trains people to make movies is that like, if you're the cinematographer, you're the cinematographer and you're going to get marks off if you do anything else. Um, Mm. So it's this very, again, dogmatic approach to, you know, the director. If you're, if you're the director, you have to get someone from the editing program into your, (laughs) to edit your movie. And I've, 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 you know, again, I didn't go to film school, but I've experienced this firsthand when I was. It's likely because um, they're trying to teach students how to work uh, within the boundaries of unions. But I think it's kind of ironic because it's like, you know, you just wind up teaching people that you have to do this, this, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, But I I think that I I experienced it firsthand once when I was, you know, I'd offered to do um, cinematography on a friend of mine's movie who uh, was in film school. And they said, yep. Yeah. And so I started doing it. And then they got in trouble from their <laughs> their school because they were like, they weren't using somebody from the cinematography class to do their cinematography. Mm. So it's this, yeah. again, it's this funny kind of very rules oriented thing, which I think can be sort of harmful to learning. Um, well, I think that, I think, as I think filmmaking is so much about uh, finding your own way to do it and that there sure. isn't really a steadfast I will um, I will solution. add this caveat though. I will add this caveat though is that that can be very challenging to do as you move into more professional realms depending on your country, etc. Oh, of course, yeah. Depending on your region where not if you're working on union films, um there can, that can actually be quite challenging. So I I can mm-hmm. see where there I I I agree with you to great extent that it's you know having the flexibility to move from position to position to have the flexibility to kind of share tasks and and have a more organic structure to the production but but also in reality though and again especially at higher levels you're you're definitely going to have to deal with uh different departments 
and very specific skill sets and very yes. specific like basic like like union requirements for what people can do and can't do. So yeah. being able and to I, work within that as well, I think is still a, is still a worthwhile skill. But mm-hmm. but if that's the only way you work, I think you know there's a blending of the two of those things where appropriate. And I will say too that like you know I'm completely pro union, of course, and I think that it's great. But I think a lot of times those restrictions and those union based restrictions are more. Um, you know, they're, they they're created be because of, of labor. They're not created because right. of, uh, right. you know, creativity, right? They're they're protecting labor That's rights of workers. So they're Absolutely. not. Whereas I, and I think that Herzog embodies this idea, that, like the style of filmmaking that I really love. And I don't mean tech, I don't mean style in terms of like what his movies are about and what they're like aesthetically. I mean, the style of his approach to the craft is something that I really admire because yeah. he, he breaks down those ideas where it's like, you can trust him to say to you, you know, if you're on a union set that like respect those rules and respect those, those, you know, very, very important rules. Um, but at the same time to be able to say, you know, you know, no, I'm going to, I can take this and I can cut it together. I'm not shafting anybody out of a job. I'm just (laughs) using the creative process to prove a point and to, to get an idea across, which I think is very, admirable because a lot of people won't do that a lot of people will just kind of sit down and go okay well the rules are yeah. rules well you find um, more, you find ways to work within the system yeah, right you can find exactly. ways if, yeah. if you know it like filmmaking is a it's a it's a big it's a big chunk of this as creative problem solving right i mean every day there's ways to do it for sure uh where you can you can manage the requirements of of all these aspects you know, yeah for sure yeah. you know something that i want to touch on briefly because i think we i don't think we've talked about it too much yet um but it's i think it's something that, that i know it's something i don't think it's something that herzog talks about in his lesson but i think it's important uh he talks about just kind of like some logistics about how uh what his process is when he sits down with his editor uh, and I think this is great advice, and I highly recommend to people to do this. I do this myself as well. But he talks about working with a logbook, basically. Mm, uh, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, he's got, you shot all this footage. Now you're sitting down uh, to watch it. And I, I actually kind of intuitively, I mean, I guess I taught myself how to edit. Like like you, I didn't go to film school. It was by necessity. I had shot some things. I wanted to make for myself my own work as an actor. And so that's how I kind of fell into writing and directing. And the, okay, well, now I've got this footage. I have to edit it. So I kind of taught myself how to do that. And this is kind of how I ended up just falling into doing it. But I would sit through and I would watch all the footage and I would make notes and basically, I would just, you know, what stood out to me, uh, what takes stood out to me as being the best. Uh, and I just started to make notes about all the footage, you know, this take, this take, this, and just had kind of created a logbook. I did mine uh, in a spreadsheet, actually, on my computer. And Herzog uses an actual notebook and writes mm-hmm. longhand, I think, well, whatever floats your boat. But, uh, but Herzog talks about the importance of doing this. Uh, and, and I agree. Uh, that you you watch the footage you wa- don't and what you know watch all of it before you start editing. I don't yeah. know if that's how it's, you work, I mean, but I totally that's agree exactly with this. Dailies, yeah. right? I, I'll sit down and watch all the dailies and you know everything and make notes. Yeah. And, yep. Yeah. yeah, and it's just it's instead of because I think um, a kind of draw an analogy here. You know, he talks about look, you know, watch it less and remember more. So it, one of the great things about writing is that of course it's going to help get the memory of this footage into your mind faster uh when you write things down that helps with your memory um but it also keeps you from having to go back 
and watch again and again and again and again. And I think, you know, it's the same thing we talked about when we're working with actors. And I, I think I had talked about how I do not like to, you know, quote unquote, memorize lines, because what most people are doing when they're memorizing lines is that they're memorizing by rote. And yeah. if you say something over and over and over and over and over, what happens is, is that it just starts to become abstract sounds and yeah, you're taking it, meaning, yeah. it lo- there's no meaning there's no connection to any kind of emotional content there well i think the same thing happens when you're watching your footage if you watch your footage over and over and over and over and over again you're going to end up becoming numb to it mm-hmm. and 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 this and i think this is what happens too you know we're talking about uh having editors come in finding that you know having this objective voice to help you edit if if you're unable to do that i well look in every instance i think this is a tool that's really useful you know one of the ways if you're acting as your own editor this is a way that you can try to help maintain some objectivity and not turn numb to your own footage which is usually use a logbook and don't watch your footage over and over and over again it's funny because it's another one of those things that i think i inadvertently stole from herzog just without mm. knowing it but i do the exact same thing which is <laughs> longhand in a notebook with exclamation marks okay and it wasn't until i you know rewatched these lessons and i went maybe i just subconsciously took that from him but it's yeah. also i mean i did the exact like when i was doing again this home movie documentary i had hours and hours in footage of footage both from my childhood and my dad's childhood that I just sat and watched through all of it and did that exact thing which is just making notes and that was of course documentary and it's applicable to narrative yeah um, but sure. I think also it's um, it's a it's one of those things again that kind of a, a great tip that otherwise for that I've heard and that I use for because um, obviously you're going to have to watch your footage a bunch just if you are seeing it and and, and I it's really important, as you said, to not get numb to it and not exactly like when you watch it over and over to not. But a really, really simple way to actually um, prevent that sometimes is just mirroring the footage mm. and literally just applying a mirror filter to it so that it flips. And I find that sometimes that immediately, it's probably something just with your brain that immediately goes like, oh, it's new. Um, and that can be both really, really, I, I learned that from visual effects that, um, you know, if you're, because obviously if you're working on a visual effect, you're going to be working on it for you know, weeks and, right. and narrowing those things down. And eventually you can just start losing context as to what looks real, what looks not real, what you need to work on. Yeah. So a lot of visual effects artists use that, um, which is just reverse the footage and immediately it looks like something new. It looks like something you didn't create because your brain has been looking at it a certain way yeah. the whole time. And, but you can take that principle from visual effects and apply it. So I'll often do that, which is if I make a cut of something, the first time I watch it, I'll actually watch it mirrored. Um, so it doesn't look like the thing I just cut. It actually just comes out as something that's completely new. And I, I've found, you know, that it has honestly helped a lot, um, with just feeling like I'm watching something that I didn't make, um, and feeling like you're more of an audience member, uh, because it's just, again, it's it's like this super, super simple thing. That's probably again, just like fooling your brain. Yeah. It's one of those things that just kind of subconsciously, you don't really notice, um, but it, yeah, it's it's a great uh, tip. But again, yeah, th- this whole idea of writing down footage, um, there is a great tragedy to people that you know will shoot a whole bunch of stuff and then wind up wind up missing because they don't want to watch all the takes of a scene, or they'll just go to the last take because they'll go, okay, this one's the best, that's what we're using. Right. Um, but they won't watch the moments, and and that's something you'll notice so often in you know major movies is that I. Um, and I saw this, it's on my mind because I it was recent, but Parasite, 
Um, there's a lot of moments in Parasite where Bong Joon-ho and the editor, I can't remember the editor's name, but they actually combine two different takes of scenes in mm -hmm. one take. Like they'll just do the classic cut on a pan or something like that. And it'll be, you know, because they liked one actor's performance better in the other uh, take, and they sure. liked this actor's performance in this take. And it's Happens not all even, the time, right? It's, yeah, it's not even cutting back and forth as in like a shot reverse shot. Jinmo like Jin Yang edited that, by the way. Okay, yeah. So yeah. so they did that a lot in Parasite, and I'm sure they did that in um, Bong's other movies as well. Um, but it's, it's, again, you learn these tricks that you don't, without forensic analysis, um, you can kind of miss and i think that forensic analysis can be very bad in some ways because i don't think that you should be analyzing frame by frame movies in terms mm -hmm. of like content and trying to pull every ounce of meaning because you'll just start inventing meaning um but i do think that it's really important in terms of technical skills to kind of go like how did they you know that's a really neat thing i can sort of see the cut if you slow it down um, yeah so why did they do that and kind of learning about it that way and going like okay so that's there you go there's a lesson as to why you should watch all of your takes and watch, watch all of every your take yeah um, absolutely because you might find that there's, there's just something subtle in one that that works and something in another um, absolutely that's yeah. a good point that's a good point and and just one more reason why you know logging all of that is so helpful if you've got you know however many takes if i mean you have 30 40 hours of footage you know mm -hmm. um it making notes of those moments uh can really make it a lot it's because it just gets overwhelming fast even on a short film it could the amount of footage you've got and takes it can get <laughs> it can get crazy but oh, that is yeah, yeah. but that is a great point because right usually i mean i i even in very casual projects of my own that's often the case is that i i often am adding you know taking moments from multiple takes uh, it's very rare that I just have that this one take for this entire scene, everything was, you know, better than everything else. I'm usually mixing up moments. Yeah. And, totally. um, yeah. and so that's a great point. Yeah. And that's kind of um, the fun about editing too, is that you're kind of it like, is. it's literally cutting and pasting. Like you're, you're basically going like, ah, I like that bit and you can, you pull yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And even with your audio as well. I mean, we could, the, the, the goal of this is not to get into the technical aspects of editing, but you, you know, yes, you've got your visual, you're editing the visual information, the moving pictures, but you also have this extraordinary, <laughs> this extraordinary opportunity with your audio. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There are so many moments where if you're not seeing the actor's mouth moving, you can do anything you want with yeah. the audio, you know, and uh, and oftentimes even when the actor's mouth is moving and it's very plain, there are a lot of things you can do with audio. So there's yeah. that's yeah. that's kind of a whole other episode there. Um, but uh, but there is an extraordinary world of opportunity in editing. So, wow. Well, I think, Cullen, we've covered uh, pretty much everything from yeah. Herzog's lesson. Yeah. Can you think of anything that we didn't cover? I think we got it pretty good. I think that that's yeah. I think we did a we did a I, decent job on this. <laughs> I hope. So. Well, hey, look, like Herzog says, it's in it's the, up to the audience. It's, a, it's up to the audience. So yeah. uh, we hope that it has been um, a fun experience for you. It, it's always fun for me. I love doing these because it you know, and, and you probably experience this when you teach too. But it helps me so much to kind of talk about these things and, you know, try to put myself, I often try to put myself in the perspective of, you know, in the mind of someone who doesn't have, I mean, 
Uh, I'm very, I would still consider myself very much a beginner. I consider myself very much in the learning stages of doing this uh, Mm -hmm. for sure. But I try to put myself in my mindset of even, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I really had no experience. Um, But this always helps, you know, to just kind of uh, remember some of these things. I feel like every one of these we do, I kind of come away with like, oh, like your like your thought on, hey, you know, mirror the uh, just flip things around. And that can kind of be just enough enough of a switch to kind of refresh your brain on it. And then I'm thinking to myself, yeah, what about color? Like, I don't think I've ever taken my footage and made it black and white and then watched it. I'd be curious to do that. That could be a lot of fun. I actually, I will do that for fun sometimes and just kind of see what it looks like. But there's a way to see it differently. And I I will even add further, and I have done this, is to watch it uh, without sound, uh, but then also to just listen to it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different things, you know, so, and sometimes you just forget this stuff, you know, it's like, oh, crap. I, yeah. forgot. I mean, I'm I, honestly, I'm really lucky that I do see a lot of that with teaching because so often it is just yeah, like, it reminds you it over and over. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a great way to learn yourself. So yeah. I'm very appreciative for that. All right. Well, we'll wrap up then. Uh, Colin, as always, man, thanks so much. You bring yeah. some like wonderful ideas to the table here. And I always really enjoy uh, having these conversations with you uh, next week. We're going to be moving on to lesson 18. And if I am not mistaken, lesson 18 is titled Invaded by Images. And that's mm-hmm. there's a two-parter, right? I think lesson 18 and lesson 19, they're Invaded by Images 1 and 2. So I'm excited to revisit um, to revisit those. It's yeah. been, I'll, I'll have to watch it again now. It's been so long since I've watched these things. But I will we'll re-watch it and we'll be prepped to, to come back next week and talk about the next lesson. Totally. Yeah. All right, man. Well, great. Well, until then, everybody have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye, everyone.